The Holy Gospel according to John from the 12th chapter. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. The Gospel of the Lord. <clears throat> the story we just heard began with Greek visitors in Jerusalem saying, we want to see Jesus. The disciples welcome this request because they clearly want people to see Jesus too, the Jesus that they have come to know. However, in Jesus' surprising response, he reveals that there are others too who want people to see Jesus. That's what we understand when Jesus says, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. If anyone wonders what he's talking about, St. John tells us that Jesus is saying this to indicate the kind of death that he was to die. Being lifted up meant being crucified. In the Roman Empire, crucifixion was not only a vicious way to execute someone who stood up to power and authority, it was also the oppressor's way of saying to everyone, we want you to see this person who is lifted up. We want you to see him die in agony. We want you to see the suffering, the excruciating pain. We want you to see the price that is paid by anyone who challenges the political and social and economic structures that keep people in their place in this land. So in effect, that is exactly what they did when they lifted up Jesus on the cross. They said, we want all of you to see him. And in seeing him, we want you to know what will happen to you if you continue to follow in his rebellious way.
But Jesus knew something that no person in power could have anticipated. When I am lifted up from the earth, Jesus says, I will draw all people to myself. It was a prediction that went against all of the expected outcomes. But in time, countless people would affirm that when the Romans lifted up Jesus on the cross, they lifted up the glory of God for all to see. In their hateful act, they made God's love the center of attention for all of the world. They illuminated the awesome power of God's forgiveness and God's grace. And because of that, their attempt to stop a movement became the most compelling reason for people to join it then and now. And that had to be what Jesus anticipated when he said that when he was lifted up from the earth, he would draw all people to himself. When a young person today was asked why she was drawn to Jesus, why she continued to fight for change in our unjust and broken world, she said, Jesus willingly took the violence, the contempt, and the hatred of this world and absorbed them all into his body. He refused to waver in his message of universal love, grace, and liberation, knowing full well that the message would cost him his life. He declared solidarity for all time with those who are abandoned, colonized, oppressed, accused, imprisoned, beaten, mocked, and murdered. He took an instrument of torture, she says, and turned it into a vehicle of hospitality and communion for all people everywhere. He loved and he loved and he loved all the way to the end. This vision of Jesus was a life-changing one for her. And it continues to be the heart of the gospel for everyone who comes, like those visitors did in the story today, wanting to see Jesus. There are other visions of Jesus, to be sure. But this is the one that Jesus himself chose when his disciples told him that Greeks wanted to see him. He chose the image of loving and loving and loving all the way to the end. But how do we get to that place where Jesus' love becomes our love? How do we move from seeing him to being him, to being his body in the world? In his own words, Jesus likens it to the transformation that takes place in nature when a seed falls into the earth. If he had lived at a later time when people knew that seeds didn't actually die, he might have used a different metaphor. But the point he is making would have been exactly the same. In order for something new and fruitful to emerge from within us, old ways have to die. And the old ways that I hear him talking about are the fear-driven ways of self-preservation that govern our decisions about how we will act and how we will be in relationship with others. 
When our ultimate concern is our own safety, our own security, we do exactly what the Romans expected everyone to do when they saw Jesus lifted up. We abandon the call to love courageously, and we retreat to the safety of acquiescence and silence, even when we know that grave injustice is being done. It may seem like a good way to preserve life. Jesus tells us that we get the exact opposite when we act in that way. Those who love their life will lose it, Jesus says. And in my way of hearing, he's saying that self-oriented life is no life at all. It is a false substitute for the abundant life that comes to us when we unselfishly love and love and love to the end. I know that I want this abundant life, but I also know that there is a lot of selfishness within me that stands in the way of that. So in the end, I have to trust that God can do the same work within me that God does in nature. In an article I read about the regeneration of seeds last week. I found new language that I think Jesus would have gladly used. The author was first describing the process by which the composition of a seed breaks down when it is buried in the ground. And it seemed to describe the process that is needed in my own life, the change that is needed within me. But then she went on to describe the process of regeneration that takes place. And that is where this image really came together for me. Each seed, she wrote, will grow into a new plant whose identity is programmed on the genetic material that provides the blueprint for what that plant will become. In other words, she says, the laws of development are written internally on the plant's DNA. A sunflower seed will grow into a sunflower, not a delphinium or a cabbage. And then she says, the genetic material writes the laws of development on the heart of the plant that grows from the seed. When I read that, my thoughts went right away to our first reading today from Jeremiah where God says, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And then God reveals what the genetic material of this law is when God says, I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. That is the same DNA of God that was deep in Jesus when he said, from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's the same genetic material that writes the law of love on the seeds embedded in every person who was created in the image of God. And it is the same DNA of God that provides the blueprint for what we become when we grow into the body of Christ. We may have great fear of losing what we think is life, 
we may have a tendency towards self-preservation and even toward anger and bitterness when we feel threatened. But deep within each one of us, there are seeds of something much more powerful than that. I think we saw that once again in many of the teenagers who dared to speak out last Wednesday in peaceful protests across the country. In his address to classmates, a senior by the name of Jordan Meeker said, if we continue to come together to fight injustice, we are sure to make an impact. So do not give up, he said, and do not give in. And her message to people of all ages, a pastor by the name of Sarah Dillon, said, if there's something you're passionate about, some possibility that has ignited your imagination to make some corner of the world a little more like the visible sign of God's love, God's peace, God's justice, God's blessing, you need no permission from the rulers of this world. Those who use the power they have to maintain their privilege would like nothing better than for you to sit back and wait for their authorization. But you don't need it, she said. If you ask me what I see in this Jesus who is lifted up on the cross, it is exactly that. I see the power of God's love in all of its fullness to the end. And I remember that this same power is embedded in each one of us. I have high regard for other religious traditions, but this is why I am a Christian. This is why I am drawn to Jesus Christ in the way that he envisioned. And this is why I want to follow him all of my days. Amen.